Welcome to Spooky Psychology with Megan and Lauren. Hello and welcome back to Spooky Psychology. This is Lauren Malika. And this is Megan Baker. As you have heard in our previous episodes, we are two licensed therapists. And yeah, we're going to talk about some spooky stuff today. Some very spooky stuff. The spookiest stuff of all. So this episode is going to be a little different just because, um, you know, typically we research certain topics and we talk about it. But this time we kind of wanted to talk to you about something that's mildly horrifying that happens to grad students. Mm -hmm. And that is what, Megan? That is all of the things that mental health professionals have to do to get their clinical hours. So... You know, the mental health system is broken. I think we all know that. Um, so we're not, we're going to talk about kind of how things are broken from the clinician side of things, not from the client side of things. Exactly. Um, because, you know, you get out of grad school and you've just taken out all these student loans and you're super ready to help people and it's all very exciting. And then, Lauren, how many hours did you need for your clinical I license? I want to say I needed 3,000. I also needed 3,000. Okay. So 3,000 hours is roughly two years of work if you're full-time. However, they don't count all of the hours, so it's kind of a crapshoot how long it actually takes you to get them. Yeah. And, you know, while you're getting them, you end up taking some interesting jobs. Jobs that you don't get paid for sometimes yeah sometimes they're straight up unpaid unpaid internships which is huge in america i'm told in other countries they pay their interns i'm a little jealous of i'm everyone. a little jealous of this as well because for for me specifically i'm assuming for you as well with my internship and nothing against this is not against any specific place we've worked it's more of a systemic issue right but in my internship not only was i not paid but i was working 32 hours a week and i was paying my university for the opportunity to work for free which is alarming. So you're really losing money on this situation. Yes. <laughs> Every once in a while you can get, uh, I don't know about you, I ended up getting some mileage paid for. Oh! For uh, when I had to go to other offices to do other things. So, you know, gotcha. that was cool. That is cool. But yeah, so I mean, what's horrifying about it, and, you know, we definitely encourage you guys, like, if you want to, like, write in and tell us your horror stories, um, is that a lot of times, you know, when we have little to no experience in the field, we're starting out, a lot of times we're put into these jobs that are really important, um, but at the same time, we just don't get paid very well. No. Um, there are positions that we really, like, things weren't listed in the objectives that we ended up doing. <laughs> Other duties as assigned, which is in every job description and always bites you in the ass. Yes. Because it could be literally anything. It's basically like it's in your job to do whatever I decide it's your job to do today. Yep. And the vast majority of bosses are pretty chill about it and Absolutely. don't make you do anything grossly inappropriate. But when you work in nonprofits, yes, it means you're cleaning. There's a lot of cleaning. I didn't anticipate how much cleaning painting. I've yeah. painted an office before. 
Uh, have you moved furniture? Absolutely. So much furniture moving. And like as a chronically ill woman, I should not be in charge of moving <laughs> Stop furniture. Stop picking up the furniture. Um, but yeah, so I mean, there's a lot of just like weird situations that we've been in. We want to just share them with you because they're kind of funny, kind of interesting. Um, and it's like we said, it's a super common thing, at least in America, for us to get experience hours and really weird situations and often like in a way i i know i'm sure you'll talk about this but like in jobs that you feel like you're not really equipped to be doing right yeah and you're often alone and like they're often like very like important things Mm -hmm. like things where it's like you really need somebody like kind of skilled to do this and i don't know if i'm that person like it should be somebody who knows more than me yes um i need an adult i need an adultier adult does anybody else feel like that i constantly feel like i I need an i mean i'm marrying an adultier adult so that helps me out quite a bit he's much better at adulting than i am but it's you know when you're in these jobs you kind of feel like a little kid where you're like i don't know what i'm doing i'm doing is the $13 an hour worth this? Right. And that's that's the alarming thing and that we'll kind of touch on too is that, you know, it, mental health workers just like in general, um, we don't get paid very well, um, but especially at the beginning of our careers. So, you know, our biggest thing that we always tell people is like, you know, you really have to love this or it's super easy to get burnt out. Mm-hmm. So... We are passionate about what we do. We are. And I also think it's important, you know, if you go into the field, um, particularly in social work, which I'm a social worker, it's very flexible, which is a good thing. Mm -hmm. And it's always, you know, I've supervised interns and always told them, like, just because you do a job and you love a job does not mean that you have to do that job forever. I mean, I left a job because of burnout, like really severe burnout. And it's okay. If you need to do something else right now, I'm a licensed clinical social worker. So I have my bachelor's in psychology and I have a master's in social work. And how I got there was actually pretty funny. So I really wanted to get a PhD in clinical psychology. That was my goal for such a long time. Um, You know, I was really, really focused towards it. And social work was kind of my backup where I was like, well, maybe if this doesn't work out, if I don't get in, I can do social work. Um, And so I, you know, I did the research. I did everything to kind of set myself up on that one path. And then about two months before, um, you know, grad school applications are due, I pretty much decided, fuck this, and changed to social work. Uh, It was a very abrupt decision. It was the best decision I could have made for myself. I think that PhD programs are so intensive. It takes like seven to nine years to get a PhD in clinical psychology. And I think just at that time in my life, I didn't have it in me to do that. So I knew what I wanted to do end goal. I just kind of changed how to get there. So I went to social work and I love social work. Um, A lot of people don't know what social workers do. They've kind of seen a few types of social workers. There's a lot of us. Um, But we do so many more things than people know. And it's such a broader field that people know about. I think there's a lot of stigma against social work. Like we're not real therapists. I've heard that. Um, I'm a fully licensed real therapist, everyone. Like I do see clients. Um, 
I mean, I was hired by somebody who does have a PhD in clinical psychology who thinks I'm perfectly capable of being a therapist. So, um, you know, there's different ways to get there. And so that was kind of mine. It was a very abrupt life decision. Mm -hmm. And I am so happy that I made it. I think like social work is it's interesting it's broad and also has a good like person in environment focus so it's not just like focusing on this person's brain chemistry and this person's life it's kind of like how their brain chemistry how their genetic predispositions are impacted by their environment because a lot of you know like we get depressed when things aren't going well. That's kind of a normal human reaction. And so I personally like that focus of how everything else going on Mm -hmm. is impacting people's mental health and what we can do to work on all of it, not necessarily just them as a person. Like what are other things they can do too? Yeah. Environment's so important. I think it's great that social work actually takes a look at that. Mm -hmm. So that's a little bit about what, how I ended up in social work. Um, okay. Lauren was there around the time when I completely decided to change my mind. <laughs> it was a weird time for everyone. It was. And we also were definitely in an environment where they really tried to push us towards PhDs, even though that's something we didn't want to do. Yeah. There was a lot of shame thrust upon us that we didn't decide to do that. Um, But ultimately, I think we both are really happy with our decision. Completely happy. So... So, Lauren, how did you end up in the marriage and family therapy field? Well, um, so originally... um, So when I thought I wanted to get into psychology, I really thought like, okay, I want to be a child psychologist. Like I want to get my PhD. (laughs) I was like, this is what I want. Like blah, blah, blah. And so of course, you know, I had, you know, experiences working in a psych lab with you. And then I also had experiences, um, interning at a domestic violence shelter And although I really loved the research end of things and I found it all incredibly fascinating and how you can kind of like use it towards helping people um, once you figure out what the research means. Um, At the same time, I kind of wanted to be in the front line, so to speak, and feeling like I actually was directly helping people and working with people face to face and all of those things and that was just really important to me um so I started exploring like okay what is the fastest route to doing that not through a PhD program (laughs) I like that we both kind of hit that point and nothing against anybody who does research they're amazing it's so necessary so necessary but like we just both around the same time we're just like I really want to do this faster yeah (laughs) what is the fastest route to this yes so that's basically when I started exploring it. So I actually, um, I researched people who seemed to be doing uh, essentially what I wanted to do. So at the time, after working at the domestic violence shelter, I realized that I wanted to work with trauma victims and survivors, and um, I wanted to learn the best way to do that. So I basically like Googled and looked at LinkedIn into people in the area who were working with that type of clientele and I found somebody who was oh my God, I 
forgot Gotham was down there. Let's go to the show. Gotham's under the table we're recording on, and so she's really still, but sometimes she moves. And if you're not used to her, it's a little unsettling, (laughs) but she loves under this table. Anywho, so uh, so I, I met with somebody who was an LCPC. I had meant to meet with somebody who was an LCSW, but I, I think just like logistically it didn't work out. And then I met with somebody who was an LMFT just to get like their different perspectives. Um, and I think what made sense to me and really pulled me in the area of getting my license in marriage and family therapy um, is that marriage and family therapists really look at things from a systemic perspective um, and that really spoke to me at the time and still does today where I think it's important to learn about um, people's families, how we're Mm -hmm. raised, how trauma gets passed down like intergenerationally. Um, I think families work in systems and I think figuring out where the system is flawed is extremely important to helping things run better um you know truthfully i was never really into working with couples <laughs> it brings up a lot of triggers for oh, me man. um i do though occasionally it's just it's not my favorite yeah. um but i do really enjoy working with families and helping them operate better um so yeah so i, I ended up going to grad school to get Um, my degree in marriage and family therapy and I think it was the best decision for me and I think something that honestly gets um, misinterpreted sometimes with my licensure just kind of like with social work well it's not the same as social work but just it's a thing that gets misinterpreted is um, people think because I'm a marriage and family therapist that I don't work with people individually when in reality like that's most of that's who you work with, right? <laughs> with. That's most of who I work with. And, you know, I can work with individuals, couples, families, but a lot of times, yeah, I do work with individuals. And, you know, I still use my degree to help them understand, you know, uh, certain things about the way they grew up and stuff like that. So, yeah, that's, that's a little bit about me. It's so interesting how, like, there's so many different ways to get to being a therapist. It is. And like you said, I mean, people think that marriage and family therapists, you know, only work with couples or Mm -hmm. families. People think that social workers either take your kids away or work in schools, Um, which like those are what we want. Those are the stereotypes (laughs) that we hear a lot. Um, I haven't asked like literally when people find out I'm a social worker, like, why do you want to take people's kids away? And like straight up, I don't I don't want to take anyone's kids away. Like, that's not my job. That never has been. And like, who does? Who's like, you know what would be great to go in the office today and, and just, just ruin some families. Right. Like, it's so much harder to actually take someone's kids away than people know it is. Exactly. I've definitely worked in that field and seen the process happen. And it's labor intensive and messy. But, like, I hear that, like, social workers, like, want to destroy families. And it's like, no, no I want to <laughs> help people. And, like, obviously, you know, some kids need to be removed from their home. If they're being, totally. you know, sexually and physically abused in the home, then obviously that's not, like, the best place for them right safety is the number one priority 
Of course, but it's just so interesting, like, the different stereotypes. And nothing against you if, like, that's what you've heard. A lot of people just don't. It's misunderstanding and just misinformation. Like, social workers do a lot. Social workers work in hospitals. They do work Mm -hmm. in schools. They work in therapy practices. They work in, I also work in a weight loss clinic right now. Like, social workers can do so many different things. It's a lot more complex of a field. Yeah. Yeah, I have a lot of respect for social workers and just anybody in the mental health field because the reality of it is it's kind of rough. You have to completely love it and have a passion for it. Otherwise, it is so easy to get burned out and discouraged. Um, A big thing that, (laughs) you know, we wanted to talk about today is like, you know, how we got our clinical hours just Mm -hmm. because it's fascinating some of the things that like we put ourselves through for the sake of experience and learning um it is also extremely horrifying how little we got paid in some of our first jobs yeah and actually Uh, i mean for me up until fairly recently if we're being honest um so you know i think that there's there's a weird thing in america i guess i'm clarifying in america just on the off chance anybody who's not in america is listening to australians hello people from other countries (laughs) please tell us what it's like out there um but you know when we're here it's very strange because um you know, we kind of have this thing where we don't talk about how people, how much money we make. Like, that's kind of across the board. There's, like, a societal thing that is inappropriate to talk about how much money you make. Honestly, real talk, I do genuinely think that that's a conspiracy to keep wages down because if you don't know other people are getting paid more, then you can't be mad about it. That's my personal take from, like, my own experience um, where people were, you know, I think I've definitely worked to jobs where you were actively, um, you know discouraged from talking about how much you make with your coworkers. Mm-hmm. Um we didn't listen, which is how I found out somebody was making eleven dollars an hour more than me when they had oh less experience God. than me and I brought it up it didn't go the best. But like right, like we're kinda like not supposed to talk about it. But when we're talking about the jobs that mental health professionals work while they're getting their clinical hours it's pretty much if you're in a good agency, you're making $15 an hour. So at this or point, less. or less, that's why I'm saying good is 15. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like that's like the higher end. So if you're thinking about it, you have a bachelor's degree, you have a master's degree, you're just working to get your license and you're making not nearly enough, like not enough not money enough to, to pay rent, really, like even that, well, like it's and tough. For example, like, so my husband actually got his undergrad in psychology. That's how we met. Mm-hmm. And Aww. I know. And so with Nick, he ended up working at the St. Charles Youth Penitentiary. Ooh. And he's like, this oh, yeah, is a really, about that. yeah, he's like, this is a really dope job. Like, I really am in love with it. Um, and, you know, he fully had his bachelor's degree all of these things but he was only getting paid like $23,000 a year mm-hmm. for that level of a job and i right. think it's so disturbing and shocking because it's such an important job he was like an intake assessor there mm-hmm. um and that was like his dream job and yeah. he had to totally change his career around because he just was not making ends meet yeah and that's and you know obviously like wages 
in America are a huge controversial thing right now. Um, yeah. We don't make enough. I'm just going to make that very clear. <laughs> we do not. We do not. Pretty much. I mean, most people don't. And that that's really where the struggle is coming from. But, like, specifically within the mental health field, the jobs that you work to get... Your hours tend to be some of the most important jobs in the field, some of the hardest jobs in the field, and some of the worst paid jobs in the field. And that's kind of where, again, like I'm saying, I'm not calling out anywhere specific. It's a systemic issue. I think every person in the field I've ever talked to has had the same experience where you're at a party like, what do you do for less than $15 an hour? Like Who what gets are you away do- with hitting you at work? <laughs> right? Like how many times have you been punched in the face? Exactly. I actually have never been hit by a I client. Been hit in the face, but I've definitely been hit. I mean, I've had things thrown at me. Yeah. I've been kicked and I've, I've been, been slapped in the leg, but I've never been like punched in the face before, which is kind of rare. I I know a lot of people who unfortunately have gotten like really serious injuries, mm-hmm. like for example, again, you know, I bring up like my husband a lot, but he is a prime example of if you don't get your master's, like what kind of jobs you end yeah. up in in the psych world. He worked at um, a facility that was essentially um, kids were taken away uh, by DCFS if their home lives were essentially awful. Um, they become wards of the state. And in that job, um, he had a situation where you know, he was bit and came to find later that this person had a disease and he could have caught it from that person. Mm -hmm. And at that point he decided to quit that job because he's like, you know what? Like this isn't worth it. Like I'm getting Mm -hmm. paid $11 an hour. I'm getting bit. I could get like a disease. Yeah. Wow. So shit like that. So I think for me, my first job post-grad school so I did an internship as part of my program and social work um at least in the program I went to ship experience of course when it's part of your degree you don't get paid so you're working full-time you're not getting paid you're actually paying your two-year university in order to work somewhere 32 hours a week for free um, which is troubling at best yeah so but I mean again it's nothing against where I did my internship they were lovely I had a great experience it's more of the entire structure of the system um, and a lot of unpaid internships which I've heard in other countries you have to pay people for internships like I've, I've heard, heard that, that that's too. different elsewhere um My internship was lovely, but then I graduated, couldn't find a job for a while, and I ended up working in residential treatment. And honestly, I loved it. I really did. It was a great experience. Um, But there were some things that I wasn't expecting going into it. Um, Number one, I was not expecting it to involve as much cardio. (laughs) Um, <laughs> as it involves, so we had we had walkie talkies and we had codes, and um, you know, not I completely Which sounds like badass at first. Like, ooh, I get walkie talkie. It was and, it was like know. a little kid's dream. Like, I have a super important walkie talkie, and it, I mean, the walkies were kind of fun yeah. actually. Um, you know, sometimes residents like when they were leaving or on their birthdays, we'd let them like say something onto the walkies, <laughs> say something crazy. Um, and so you know, like it was a cool like that was cool except for the fact that like 
people would try to run away, which honestly, I 100% get why, you know, they're kind of like, in residential treatment, you live there, you're there all the time, a lot of your privileges are revoked, like you can't have cell phones or computers, you can't just like go take a walk when you want to. A lot of times they don't want to be there. You know, yeah, or you know, they, they want to get, it's it's just a lot for people to take, so nothing against anyone who did run away, like, I have respect I for you all <laughs> on the off chance any of you are listening like that would be weird it's fine but like i didn't expect for this job you know like 15 dollars an hour to have to like literally chase people through the woods <laughs> oh to try to get them to come back and like be calling the cops and like literally chasing people down oh my God. um which happened a lot actually there was one night where 11 people tried to run away and what? it was like madness right which was again, there a full moon i think so there's truth in that there really is ask anybody in the mental health field um but it's like stuff like that where like it's not bad it's not on the clients you're like i completely get why you want to run away right now like i get how you're feeling in the objectives of my job description (laughs) i did i was not aware that i was going to have to run after you right this often and there were like other things that are just like you don't know when you go into it like did you have any experiences like that where like a job was like a complete shock of what you were actually doing hmm i know you had a bit of a woods situation it's always the woods situation so yeah so here here's my story so i want to take you back back in the day when i was an undergrad it was so, a blustery Thursday. It was a blustery Thursday. <laughs> just to set the scene. <laughs> so, all right. I want to just take you back there. So basically, when you're trying to get into grad school, it's really good to expose yourself to experiences yes. and internships and jobs that will kind of beef up your resume, so to speak. So I definitely was looking for, you know, jobs I could get um, that you know, were related to the psych field. And so, of course, I stumbled upon this, uh, I don't know what to call it, uh, this company um, that essentially had residential facilities, long-term housing um, for people with schizophrenia. And so back then, I was probably like... 20 years old, 21 years old. Yeah, you were young. I was a young baby. And Mm -hmm. you're you're a tiny, tiny person. (laughs) You know, sometimes I forget that I am pretty short. (laughs) So I'm only 5'3". And not now, but at the time, I was probably like... 115 pounds. Yeah, you were you were a tiny, tiny little person. So back then, barely a human, doing my thing. (laughs) Like, just not anyone. Like, I don't feel like you could have beaten many people in a fight back then. Like, you did not have the appearance of someone who could like hold their own in dangerous situations. Like, no no offense at all. None taken. It's true. It's like it's true. Maybe I'll post a picture. Maybe we can post an old picture of ourselves. An Aww. undergrad, that'd be cute. We have so many we have cute so pictures. Many. But we were tiny, tiny people. Yeah. Anyway, so I was a baby, and um, so I saw this job, and I was like, oh, my God, like, people with schizophrenia. And I totally, like, misunderstood, like, the diagnosis. Of course, I watched all the horror movies back then. So I was like, yes, like, I want to work with them, and I'm going to do some, like, weird, like, 
Clarice Sterling, <laughs> Hannibal Lecter. <laughs> Brief Shit. note on that movie. I actually just watched it for the first time a couple weeks ago. Are you kidding? I know, right? It's embarrassing. Okay. But, like, the sure. entire time, I was getting so mad, because I'm like, why the fuck wouldn't the FBI let, like, an intern be doing any of this? Like, why but- is it, like, out of all of the agents, this one student who has not even completed Quantico is definitely the most qualified how person how accurate is that, given mission? our experiences? I mean, I feel like when it's that high level, they would not send an intern there. Like, I feel like when it's, like, literally catching serial killers, yeah, they I probably guess. don't trust you with that. So... Back to my story. (laughs) I have feelings. I I know. I I definitely understand. So, okay. So, there's this job. And so, like, I went to the training. I was all pumped, like, learning about schizophrenia. What I didn't understand is that, um, essentially, I was going to be working at this uh, long-term housing place in the middle of the woods. Um, There were about seven residents that lived there and I would be the only person on staff so (laughs) so there's me again I was 5'3 about 115 and seven people with schizophrenia who may or may not appropriately take their medication Um, and so this is like how horror movies start. <laughs> this is like the setup. Um, so I definitely was like, okay, like this is going to be sweet, you know, whatever. Uh, my first day I showed up there and started to realize like exactly like what I signed myself up for when um, there was a resident who was twice my size. And in that moment I was like, okay, like, this could be bad. This mm-hmm. could not be the safest situation. Yeah. Um, so that was a little spooky. Um, I will say nobody ever like threatened me or made me feel like uncomfortable. Yeah. I think I talked in a previous episode about schizophrenia and how it's very misunderstood. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say the clients there were more likely to hurt themselves than anybody else. Um, but so I guess like funnier stuff is so again you know just me and my bright ideas um i used to work overnight shifts so <laughs> you did you did. did Ooh, we'll go into overnight uh-huh. working stories that's another thing a lot of people yep. do working overnight working overnight, overnight it is spooky so again overnight um so it was one of those things where like Obviously, it would be, like, extremely late, and you weren't supposed to be sleeping. So, you'd be, like, kind of, like, half awake, like, reading or catching up on notes. Um, You know, I was getting ready to take, like, the GRE, so I'm sure I was, like, studying for that. And the problem is um, sometimes people with schizophrenia, you know, they have delusions. They see Mm -hmm. and hear things. So your girl was like at three in the morning in the living room, again, in the middle of the woods, everybody in the house is sleeping. And sometimes people would come up to me and be like, yeah, Lauren, like, you know, there's like, like dead, like bloody people walking around in my room. And at the time, I was so like 
freaked out just because it was such it was like the middle of the night and I was yeah. so young and I was just like you know there's probably not like let's talk about it in the morning like go to bed I was so freaked out yeah um and then I feel so terrible about this so like I remember when I first started working there um some residents would like come up to me and they would tell me like Lauren like there's turkeys in the backyard and I was just like, okay, you know, like in my head, I was like, oh, like they're being like delusional, like they're seeing things. Plot twist: there were turkeys in the backyard. <laughs> you know, I think like you said, like schizophrenia is so misunderstood, and obviously, like you were probably the safest person there. But yeah. just think about, like, honestly, that's such a safety concern for the was, residents to yeah. only have one person there. Like, if you we know, never worked with this clientele before. Right, like, and then not that you weren't capable of handling I probably like, wasn't. If it happened, but yeah. still, it's, you know, these people need extra help, you know. And to it's fully understand what's happening. Yeah, it can be unpredictable. So even just, like, sometimes, you know, the jobs that we work end up being kind of dangerous situations. So do you mind if I share my working overnight Not experience? at all. The only other thing that I'll yeah, say that was surprising about mine is... Um, I had to help with medication management and making sure they took their meds. And that mm-hmm. was like a thing for me where I was like, I don't feel qualified to do this. Yeah. It was a weird That is really thing, weird. But yeah. that was the last part. Okay. So I also had a working overnight experience. And there were a lot of pros and cons. So I worked overnight on the crisis hotline. So I did, you know, talking to people who were suicidal and homicidal, but also just like people who were having panic attacks, who were going through some stuff, couldn't sleep. And so like none of my issues with the job had to do with the people calling the hotline. They were great. It was so fulfilling to be able to kind of help people in that moment. Um, Misconception a lot of people have. If you call the suicide hotline, they will not automatically call the police on you. Um, Oh, that's a good thing to mention. Just to throw it out there, like, it's I I definitely did sometimes, not very often, though. Right. Um, But I was working overnight, in an abandoned hospital. Oh my god. In the room right next to the morgue. Shut the up. Morgue. I didn't know that detail. So here's a couple issues. Um I'm already mm, seeing a few. <laughs> right where like literally I was there in the basement where I worked. And then upstairs was one security guard. Oh, my God. And then there was a friendly janitor who would come by about 4 o'clock in the morning to clean. He was amazing. He was, like, in his 70s and would just tell me stories. He was truly friendly. Like, he'd just come in and, like, take out the garbage and sweep my office and tell me stories about the good old days. I loved that man. That man was great. Um, But... I was the only person there, which meant that I was there working overnight and I was not able to take breaks. Oh, so labor loss. <laughs> I had to answer the hotline no matter what, oh, which meant that I would have to bring like if I had to go to the bathroom, I would have to bring the hotline phone into the bathroom. Oh, dear with God. Me OK. And would have to literally stop going to answer a call. Oh, my God. So there were like a lot of situations where... You know, I'd be on calls for hours where yeah. like, it was one after the other, and like I wasn't able to take a bathroom break. 
Or you'd be like sitting on the toilet talking to somebody. I never talked to anyone on the toilet. Oh, okay. I would like to make this it is very the time clear. To share if you did. I never did that. <laughs> But, like, you'd have to hold it for a long time, and sometimes I could transfer the line over to the hospital, like, if, you know, there was any sort of situation, because it would ring back to them, but a lot of times they were too busy to answer it, and so... You know, there were some concerns there. Um, Another thing I would like to clarify, so me, alone, abandoned mental hospital, I did used to have a mental health unit, it's not anymore, so it's an abandoned Uh. hospital, just had like office spaces, but I was overnight. I was told that nobody else was there. And then I was told that I was in the room right next to the morgue. Great. And then one day... Stop. I'm so nervous. (laughs) I just heard a loud, like, in pain moaning. Shut the fuck up. Oh, my God. All night. And I was terrified because, again, I was explicitly told there was no one else in the building. So I'm, like, in an abandoned hospital next to the old school morgue hearing moaning. And I'm, like, great. I'm going to die tonight. Like, perfect. I'm, like, texting my now fiancé. I'm, like... There are ghosts here. I am terrified. It was very emotional for me. Um, so I finally like called and I was like, I keep hearing noises. Like people are screaming and there's moaning and <laughs> oh I don't know what's God. happening. Ugh. And my coworker goes, Oh, it's probably just all of the people in the hospice that's literally right down the hall from your <laughs> office. So nobody <laughs> told me there was a fully functional hospice in like the part of the building like through these doors. <laughs> Um, which like would have been good for me to know because I'm like answering calls and like, I'm able to keep it together. But like, I also feel like I'm surrounded by ghosts, which is a little (laughs) bit spooky. Yeah. Um, it was just people in the hospice, which is, it's, it's sad and horrifying in its own way. Cause it's just like, oh, that's just people in horrific pain screaming. (laughs) Great. Still terrifying. Not much better. Um, but yeah, it was kind of a weird situation like not. And I mean, there were some nights where nobody called. So I just kind of sat around and those are good nights, you know, TV or whatever, Mm -hmm. or just did filing. But like there were nights where I wouldn't like, be able to take a breather for like three or four hours and again like you do it for the clients you do it for the people you do it to help people but there is some concern there of like you know having to put people on hold when they're calling a hotline and having to do all of these things a lot of them weren't suicidal like you'd have to triage and everything but just like only having one person overnight which yeah i get but at the same time and eventually they moved me into a hospital so there were other people there so i was like able to like (coughs) take go to the bathroom and give somebody else the phone i was able to do it so the issue did get fixed but for a while, it was just such a thing where it's just like, okay, like, you know, I'm out of grad school. I'm perfectly qualified to do this job. But, like, I'll agree that at least the two of us see that, like, where we ended up in the field is worth it. Like, Absolutely. I'm, I'm happy very, I got that out of the yeah, way early. I'm so happy about it. But at the same time, I mean, for LCSW, we need 3,000 supervised hours. How same. many is 3,000? Which takes two years, about, about two working years. full-time. Because think about that. That's 3,000 hours mm-hmm. talking to people. Like, <sighs> For me, half of them had to be direct client hours, and then half could be like other work that you do. Mine so was 2,000 had to be. Okay. And then um, 1,000 was like 
like if you like um watched a session or you participated okay. in some sort of like collaborative thing you could count that but yeah that's yeah. nice i mean and the other thing for me i ended up um because of the confusion about um different degrees and everything i basically ended up losing a thousand supervised hours what so um I was told by a job that I was at that I had to ha- I had to have my LSW before um, you know I could do my hours and I trusted that they knew what they were talking about. Yeah. For social work, that's not true. I think for counselors, you have to have your like initial license mm-hmm. to pre- and then you can do um, you know your hours, but that's not true in social work. So I ended up working a thousand hours that should have counted but didn't because I didn't get the proper supervision. Oh my god! So I had to. So it took me extra time. Yeah. Um, and again, I feel like I one of my favorite things about um my previous job I got to supervise interns I love supervising interns I'm such a big fan of it shout out to all my interns if any of you are listening I think some of you are you're all amazing and I love you all um (laughs) I never forgot you I'll never forget you but you know like getting to supervise people it's kind of cool and I guess like it's kind of cool to be doing this just like tell people like make sure you double and triple check what you need to do for your hours because everything your job may not know and you can't always trust that they know exactly and for me you know i had my hours spread across two separate jobs and then so i had to hunt somebody down to like get them to fill out the form for my hours after i left a job and they had started a new job so i was literally facebook messaging a former supervisor (laughs) because that was the only way I could find out where she was and then she sent me something that I thought would work and then it didn't and so we had to do it again so it delayed my whole licensure process so it's like there's a lot of logistical stuff so I strongly suggest everybody who's in the mental health field like get a supervisor that you really trust knows what they're doing totally um i actually just had somebody reach out to me on psychology today asking me to be their supervisor which i'm so pumped about except i can't do it um you need like a certain amount of hours i need to have my lcsw for five years and i'm not there yet so i'm like i'm waiting because i love supervising people but like get somebody that knows what they're doing and that really knows the requirements and that you trust because I think a good supervisor makes all the difference or like having a mentor Mm -hmm. in the field it's very very important I definitely have one who I feel like is my mentor we never solidified it it wasn't like a straight out thing who's tell me about your mentor so she was um the I mean she may not consider it like a legit thing um but you know she was a person that i talked to when i was deciding if i wanted to be an lmft at the time she had just graduated grad school um and just earlier this year i went to she had like a ceu training for Mm -hmm. trauma that i ended up going to and i was just like yo like you probably don't remember me but you made a huge impact in my life and so yeah so like i've kept up with her and we'll connect every so often but she's really cool and yeah definitely look up to her yeah that's awesome mine um was actually my internship supervisor we got very close she is just an amazing woman i really admire her um 
And yeah, I actually similarly I got to see her at a training. She was running a training at a conference that I was at, and I got to see her, and it was just super cool to catch up. Um, but she was great, and I think she really set me off on a good path. She called yeah. me out on my shit a little bit, Ugh. which I really needed at the time. Yeah. And so she was she was just amazing. Um, and and just you know I think that that helps so much. Not that like she supervised me past my internship at all, but it was just she explained things to me really really well, in, like a truthful way about like yeah. what I had to do yeah. from that point in time, and that was just so helpful. Yeah. Um kind of in terms of my next steps like obviously there were issues with my licensure which went a while um nothing with me it's not like i you know shouldn't have gotten my license or anything it was all just like some misinformation about how to get hours got it um but it's hard like it's hard starting out in this field and there's a lot of good things too and Mm -hmm. again like it's it's just I think these experiences if you talk to anybody in the mental health field every time I ever had people have reported pretty similar experiences to ours we all have our horror stories where it's just like jobs that you know there were safety concerns jobs where there were financial concerns you know jobs where ethical concerns ethical concerns where like employees weren't treated well and that's not everywhere there are wonderful jobs totally in the mental health field i think we both have lucked into a wonderful job (sighs) together yeah um which is a huge relief um we're very supportive She's just the nicest human she being. She's the greatest person. She's We're so very nice lucky. and like so supportive too. Where yeah. it's just you know where I know we can flourish. You know because yeah. we're in a supportive environment. And like when we told her we were doing this she's just like i'm so happy you guys are just doing what you love and it's amazing and she was so just like yeah great cool like let's talk about serial killers you do you like which i think is so different and it so is. you know and i think it's probably the same in every field right mm. like your first jobs are not what you're gonna do forever no. they're typically underpaid in every field i yes. think except for like some engineering and IT jobs tend Probably. to go pretty well right Probably off the bat. Right. Yeah. Good for you Good if for you're you. in that. Like, we're happy for you. Um, and this is not, like, we're not trying to make anybody, like, feel bad. No, about we just, we were talking about it. We are just like, this, it's kind of funny. Like, some of, like, our earlier stuff. Like, right. these early horror stories. I mean, even things like... Um, things I wasn't told about jobs before I started. Like, I'm just thinking about this, but, like, back in residential treatment, nobody told me I had to bathroom monitor people. Like, nobody told me that I would have to check toilets after people went to make sure that they weren't engaging in eating disorder behaviors. Like, I wasn't told I would be looking at poop a lot. I'm not upset at anybody whose poop I had to look at. It wasn't their fault. Like, it wasn't like that. But it's just, like, things you're not told where you're like, I've got this master's degree. Like, I'm going to go in this field and like it's gonna be great and like residential treatment you're like ah i'm gonna get to like change these women's lives and you do but you're also chasing after them when they have a moment and try to run away and you're also like looking at their poop right which is like kind of i have a story it's kind of interesting so Um, in grad school, I don't know if it was like this for you, but for me, um, part of our hours, um, 
like experience hours were watching like other people's sessions before Mm -hmm. we ever got to see clients. So we were observing sessions. Um, So we would observe and take notes and basically like learn from what we were seeing. So we would follow certain clients or families, whoever we were watching. Mm hmm. I remember um, at the time there was a family that I was observing and um, I had been observing them probably for like a few months. And then meanwhile, like I ended up getting like this like bump like on my boob that I had to get removed. Oh, yeah. I was, remember that. Do you remember that? Yeah, okay. I do. So like I went to like go get that done like with my friend Mary. They had to do like a little biopsy where they like suck it up basically mm-hmm. and everything was totally fine. non cancerous whatever but of course you know I'm like sitting there like topless and of course the nurse who comes in is the mom from the family I was observing and she had no idea who I was because um, we would use two-way mirrors so Mm -hmm. she didn't know like who was observing her Um, so she didn't know that I knew a lot about her and obviously I'm not going to use that opportunity while my tits are out to be like hey how are things going (laughs) like it's such a weird thing because like obviously we can't have dual relationships with any clients but like you also have to like wonder some i've actually never run into a client outside of work before i feel like now that i've said that it's gonna start happening um and we always tell clients this is like the general spiel that like we we will not say hi to you it's not that we don't like you it's just that like people might know we're therapists so we will never come up to you and approach you we don't know if your family knows you're in therapy we don't know anything like that you're more than welcome to come up and say hi to us if you want to if you're like with your mom and you're like hey mom this is my therapist like we'll say hi we won't like we can't confirm or deny it we're not going to be like yes i am you know us you you know there's none of that if you want to come say hi come say hi no big deal i think kids are more likely to than adults sometimes because they see you and they're like miss megan what's up again it's never happened what are you doing here but like i've i have to explain that to kids too where it's like it's not that i don't like you it's not that i don't want to say hi it's just that like you have confidentiality and it's up to you so you can come say hi to me but I won't come say hi to you but then there's also certain situations where it's like how do you know that they would be your nurse though and obviously in that situation she didn't know you which would be so uncomfortable I had no idea but like I know I'm at the doctor a lot not to brag um, (laughs) so I know most of the nurses but like there's no way of knowing for sure that like they wouldn't hire someone that's a client or a client's right. family member and you could be in a vulnerable situation like that where they like just come in and you don't know they're there and it's like, it's like oh hello thank you for assisting in my medical needs right and so there's a lot of like I know some therapists like won't go to restaurants that their clients work at if they know about it yeah I tried to avoid that or at least like talk to them about it before like let them know yeah. um which is weird like not that you know where all of your clients and where their parents work some clients like will never tell you where they work which is fine there's really totally no reason fine. we need to know that yeah. unless it's like a big issue right. most of the time people are like oh I work in this field and you're like okay cool like it's not because I mean there's some people that I know live in the same like town that I do and I'm like you know if you see me at Meyer, I'm gonna be in my pajamas mm-hmm. like it's fine I'm probably gonna be a little embarrassed because I look 
homeless, but <laughs> like, yeah, it's cool. I mean, it's very much just like it's weird. I mean, this is the first time I've ever lived and worked in the same community, so it's kind of uh, different for me. Yeah. Um, but like, I've had to tell people like, you might see me at Target. I'm there a lot, so like, I can't confirm or deny I'm there all the time. It's I just ran into you at yeah. Target recently. <laughs> um, but it's, it's you know, it's kind of a weird thing where, like, there are those times. And luckily, it's it's never come up for me before. Like I yeah. said, now that I put it out there, I'm going to, like, run into five times tomorrow. Like, oh, hey, I'm just here. But especially, like, if you're buying something weird. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Like, it could be, like, very uncomfortable if you're, like, at Target like buying, buying underwear <laughs> and they're just, like... <laughs> Hello, client. These are my underpants, which you've now seen, so I'm not going to buy them. Like, And it's just, like, such a weird thing where, like, we, you know, we're people, too, obviously. Like, yes. we live our lives. We have embarrassing medical stuff. We have to... I've never had to get a biopsy, but I've had to get, like, seven ultrasounds to, like, rule out cancer. Like, it's yeah. where it's just, like... I mean, we're people, too. And, like, yeah. I don't know if you work in those places. Like, you don't get to pick your ultrasound tech before no. you go, right? It's they not like you can... not who that is. And yeah. We can't violate HIPAA and be like, that person's actually my client. So it's right. like, you know, but we're people, too. We're at Target in our pajamas at 11 o'clock on a Thursday <laughs> we sometimes. We just need you to like, know that sometimes we're at Target in our pajamas. If you take away anything that's from That's really the takeaway. Um, actually, I don't really wear my pajamas outside of the house very much my sweatpants and pajamas are interchangeable oh that's fair i do wear sweatpants yeah i think that again chronically ill people love sweatpants like not to stereotype but i love sweatpants i love me some so it's like being comfy i mean it's such a weird thing and so you know i think we just kind of wanted to share particularly with other mental health professionals but just like a little bit about what the early stages in the field are like and there it's all horrifying and maybe what needs to be reformed yeah we're not gonna like go storm the capitol and try to like Maybe one day. Not right now. We have autoimmune disorders. We don't have the energy. Actually, I don't have an autoimmune disorder. Oh, you don't? I do not. What is it technically? Nobody knows. Okay. It really depends on who you ask. And actually, my diagnosis is very um, confusing Mm. right now because I got a new diagnosis that um, is often like... A lot of people with my new diagnosis mm-hmm. are misdiagnosed with my original one. Ooh. So right now it's very unclear if I have both disorders or if I only have one. They're basically indistinguishable and we can't really do anything about either of them. Like oh. I could go get fight for some genetic testing because um, there's another disorder that's more severe that it could be. Mm. But the type that I would have is not like the dangerous type of it at all. Mm. So basically, it's not going to kill me, and there's nothing anybody can do about it. So, like, that makes life exciting. There's right? not much of like a rush to figure it out, yeah. but I do have um, mine is actually immunodeficient. immunodeficient. So, my, my immune system okay. isn't like when you have autoimmune, your immune system is too strong and it's attacking your body. Yeah. My immune system just does jack shit. Got it. That's why I'm sick all the time. Got I have it. horrible allergies. Um, so it appears new research suggests that it's immunodeficient, but basically my body sucks and I'm tired all the time Same. for the last like 
15 years for me. It's a long so, time. Yeah. Mm. But sweatpants help. Target helps. My illness is almost old enough to drive. <laughs> oh my god. I'm gonna have a birthday <laughs> party for it. Like, Don't drive right. anywhere. That is horrifying. Um <laughs> uh, <laughs> anyway. That was a weird tangent. Anyway, um we're real people too. We're real people. That's what we came here to say. <laughs> um and, and give more horror stories is that all you have to share. I mean, I, I like I think that there's just some stuff that, you know, Obviously, I can't I can't talk about For because again I respect my clients. There, I mean, even though like uh, technically, if it's not identifying, it's not like really HIPAA, but it's also just like it's their business. I don't want to share anybody's totally. business like without their consent. I don't want it to be a thing. But you know, I really just like again want to stress this is a systemic issue. Yep. If anybody listening happens to be any of our clients at the previous jobs, this has nothing to do with you. This has even like, because obviously like sometimes in those early jobs, especially in residential treatment, people have behaviors that are difficult to manage and difficult to deal with. And like, we never hold that against you. It's not your fault. And we completely get it. Just like when people get hit. We understand. I used to work at um, a special needs school in high school. Somebody straight up tried to drown me. That's not her fault. It's not a big deal. I was fine. Like, I get it. It's beyond your control. And it's like that with most clients. Like, it's just like, we get it. Like, if you're one of the people who ran away where I was at, I understand why you... I would have tried to run away if I was there, too. Like, it's tough. I get it. You got a moment, you're overwhelmed, and you just want to run because a lot of times it's just like you're cooped up and you have that energy and you're like, I just need to get out of here. Like, I get it. It's nothing against you. It's nothing against the clients, but there is an issue with the lack of support in the field and just the assumption that, like, Oh, you're new, just out of grad school. So, like, you don't really have bills or anything. So, we can pay you $13 an hour to do this grueling job. Like, no. And it's it's just that there's a systemic issue, like I said. We're not even calling out, like, the specific jobs we were at. No. We're not even naming places. No. But it's literally just that, like... It's everywhere. It's everybody. There's a lot of stuff. And, like, we don't want, like, clients to feel bad that their therapists don't get paid well. Like, we're okay. We signed up for this. We're fine. Especially now. We're in in good jobs. We're getting compensated. Like, it's not anything negative. I've loved every job that I had in its own ways. I think just like most people, pretty much every job I've had has had some issues with it, of Of course. course. But, like, I've loved every job. I've loved, you know, I'm really honored that I've gotten to do the work I've gotten to do with people. Totes the goats. Mental health workers. Needs, there needs to be some mental health reform on the worker side and on the client side. There's, there's just a lot. Mic drop. Boom. (laughs) All right, guys. Well, that's it for today. Let us know your stories. Subscribe. Give us feedback. Like our channel. Uh, Um, Tell your friends. Tell your mom. Tell your kooky aunt. If you have a kooky aunt, please let us know. (laughs) All right. Bye. Bye.